All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wednesday edition of the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440 is always presented by PlayAlberta.ca. And, of course, uh, we are coming to you live from the E-Well studio. From LED lighting audits and retrofits to design-built distribution systems, E-Well services can give you the edge you need to impress your clients. Go to ewel.ca and learn more. And uh, we're very excited. We have a whole new segment. This is something we're going to do uh, every Wednesday. I kind of stole the idea a little bit from the Smartless podcast where, uh, you know, they would, one guy, one host would bring on the guests and the other two hosts didn't know who it was. So in this instance, the listeners, you're the other host. So we've given you uh, the hints on uh, who it's going to be as we get to our uh, big guest of the day brought to you by Silent Ice. They've now expanded. They own the JPHL, an academy-style approach for U14, U15, and U18 Hockey players with a focus on skill development and education. Learn more at juniorprospectshockeyleague.com. Our first inaugural guest in Who Is It Wednesday is one of only 18 players in NHL history to have played over 1,100 games and have over 2,000 penalty minutes. He's won two Stanley Cups. His junior jersey is retired. He played for five NHL teams. He's been involved in pro hockey for 28 years. He's moonlit as a personal trainer for some of his former teammates, carrying weights upstairs, from what I understand. We'll get more into that. He's also a two-time Stanley Cup winner and was a captain of the Edmonton Oilers. And JP did get it right in the text line. Kelly Buckberger, effectively known as Bucky. Joins us. Kelly, how are you, my man? Great, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be out here, and uh, you're, you guys are doing such a great job out here. I know you're a couple days in, but uh, it's going to be a great show for everybody. Well, hey, man, we're happy to have you here. Uh, 
you're still in like game shape, man. I, so, and I got the story from, from Craig McTavish because uh, last year I ran into him in the summertime. I'm like, hey, Mac, how you doing? Geez, you're looking good. And he's like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm up with training with Bucky. He's got me at the bottom of the stairs on Fox Drive and he's putting weights on me and he's running up the stairs. And, and I, like how he was explaining the story, I was dying laughing. So you're like, uh, like you're hardcore still into training. No, I still do it every day, and it's something that I enjoy doing, not all the time, especially after a late night. It's not great getting into that gym, but uh, I took Mac the one day to the stairs. I don't know if you know, it's in Westridge, and, and they're really hard, and I had taken with a, a weight jacket, and then uh, up and down, and we did it a few times, and we ended up jumping in the North Saskatchewan for a little swim. It was like almost 35 that day. Oh man. So like, what is your training? Like how are you two hours a day or an hour a day? What are you doing? I'm probably a little over two hours a day, get up early, get it done and then uh, start my day. And it just seems like it's a workout and it's a lunch with the boys and golf and dinner with the boys. And then, um, sweat it out the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) Now, how's your golf game? What do you shoot? Oh, we're doing okay. It's, it's up and down just like everybody else, but uh, I, I play a lot with Mac. We, we played the Mayfair last night, and we caught in the rain, but uh, we have some pretty good games with one another, and uh, also Crystal Chance is in that, in that mix also. Okay. So now, we'll get to what you're doing. Of course, you're assistant coach with Laval right now, but I kind of want to go way back to you know a, a young Kelly Buckberger who, who came into the orders in, in like the glory days, right? Uh, you're a young guy. Can you, can you take me through, because you're in the minors, then you get called up in the Stanley Cup finals of all things. And, like, this is 1987. Like, how nervous were you when all of a sudden Slats comes over, hey, Bucky, you're playing? Well, there's a little bit of a story to it. Uh, the, we were a black ace, obviously, just getting called up from uh, Halifax. And uh, so, as black aces always do, they're out every night enjoying the city life. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but we were at uh, Esmeralda's that night before the game, and we got into it with, uh, you know, had a late night and everything else. And I got back. I don't. I have no idea what time it was, and and we usually practice early before the main team. And I went there early, about uh, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, to get dressed and go skate. And Ronnie Lowe was uh, skating us at that time, and my equipment wasn't there. And I'm like, oh god, he he, he heard that I was out. And uh, Sparky came to me and he said, hey Kelly. Uh, Glenn wants to talk to you. So I walk in, and he's got his legs crossed. He's got a cigar in his mouth. And he goes, kid, did you get any sleep last night? And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. And he goes, "Uh, okay, well, what time did you get to sleep? I said, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And he goes, well, do you think you can play tonight? I I go, what? He goes, do you think you can play tonight? I said, yeah. And so, obviously, I went to the main dress room, got dressed, went on the ice with the big team, and uh, the rest is history from there. But uh, that's my... uh, opening uh game to the nhl so had you skated with the big team prior to that not once no just in the pregame skate uh, in the morning skate against uh, philadelphia so you never really practiced with the team and now we're talking some of the greatest players of all time right there's messier and then of course there's gretzky and and all them and, and then you mentioned the fact that you'd been out carousing the night before like how nervous were you well, I would think I was only 19, so I wasn't. Uh, I was nervous. There's no question about that. But uh, there's a little bit of a story after that. After I got my first shift, I had fought Dave Brown, and uh, I come out of the penalty box, and uh, Paul Coffey leans over, and and as you know, that the fourth liners are the uh, the bookmarkers of the D and the forwards, and he goes, "Kid, you just got yourself a ring." 
and I still remember it from that vivid from that night. Because you played in the Stanley Cup final, yeah. Yep, and then we I played three games and we beat Philadelphia and uh, in eighty six eighty seven. It's amazing how in tune some guys are. Just you're sitting on the bench here, and you just hey, you got yourself a ring, and you're just kind of like, man, I'm just trying to focus on the game. Here. <laughs> <laughs> but or it, is that good? Does that almost kind of relieve the pressure a little bit when someone makes a comment like that? I think it was even the year before when I, I got drafted and I, I came into the Oilers, and it was amazing how welcoming uh, the veterans were, like the Gretzkys, the Messies, the Kevin Lowe's. Um, actually, I roomed with Craig McTavish when we were both came in at the same time with the Oilers, and uh, they were so welcoming, and they just invited everybody into everything. And we were like a family. Even though I wasn't part of the team, they made me part of their family. And uh, it was really easy to adjust. Uh, you just didn't say much, and you just watched and listened for years. Kelly Buckberger joins us, our, our guest on uh, Who Is It Wednesday. Of course, uh, we mentioned, Bucky, you are you're 140th all-time in games played in NHL history. You are, in a, you know, and memorize it, you're 34th all-time in, in penalty minutes. You're one of only 18 guys to play over 1,100 games and have 2,000 penalty minutes and you know like it's hard to do both like it's hard to stay healthy and do all that and and any order fan who watched the orders you know because you were there when you won and then you were one of the main guys for kind of those those dark years for the four years there and everybody remembers how you played and you you mentioned dave brown like you fought a lot of the real big guys and you weren't necessarily in the heavyweight size your heart was there but like you were giving up 20 pounds 30 pounds three four inches why? Like, what made you want to do that all the time? Well, it's funny you say that because uh, when I started coaching with Pat Quinn after and uh, Gino Ojek, uh, God bless his soul, uh, Pat loved him and he came into the dress room and he had give, we're in, in Vancouver and he gives Pat a big hug. He just loved Pat. And then he looks at me, he goes, why? <laughs> and I go, what? He goes, why would did you like to get beat up all the time? <laughs> 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 Quote from Gino Ojek. But I, I think it's one of those things that, I had to do something to get noticed and, and do something that the coaches uh, caught their eye. And and plus, you, you needed to improve every day. You had to get better as a player, and you bring one element, then you can try and bring another element. But it, it's about trying to improve every day. And when you do, do do that, and it doesn't matter whatever business you're in, if you're improving every day and getting better, you, you're going to have success. And, and that's probably why I played so long, is that every day I had to prove that I belonged uh, in this league. Well, you were a great skater, right? And uh, you, you pretty much gave everything you had in every shift. I think anybody who watched what it says, hey, the one thing with Buckberg, you kind of knew what you were getting. Every shift, every coach I've talked to, they, they like players where they know they don't really, like, I know what game I'm going to get from him every night. How did you learn that? Because it's a skill to find that competitiveness and that consistency in regard, whether you're a checker, whether you're an offensive guy, and yeah. lots of players struggle with it. How'd you find it? I don't think I had it in junior. Um, obviously, I was a ninth rounder, and I come in, and I just gravitated. I spent a lot of time with Craig McTavish when I was a kid, and uh, all I did for the first four or five years was I listened, didn't say anything, and just watched and, and learned from the, the greatest players that probably of all time that played uh, for the Oilers. But then it came our time to lead, and, and I thought, you know, I took the things that I learned from all those guys and even from the coaches from the Glen Say, there's John Mucklers, Teddy Greens, and Ronnie Lowe's, that they were great leaders, uh, great coaches, but great leaders at the same time. Kelly Buckberger uh, joins us. And so you evolve as a player. Take us back to 
93 and 94 and 95 and 96 from a guy who, like, there's no guarantees you're going to win every year. But you were on competitive teams all the time. And winning's fun. Like, let's yeah. make no mistake about it. I don't know anybody who's like, I'm having a good time getting my ass yeah. kicked, right? Like, that's not good. How challenging was it for you as somebody who had been on those? And then you were one of the few guys left over when you had those few down years. And then obviously came back in 97 and 98. And, you know, everybody knew in the salary cap or the non-salary cap era that you guys were pushing a boulder uphill. But at least you were competitive. How tough was it for you mentally in those four down years? Uh, it, it was tough. I think it was tough for everybody with the players, the coaches, uh, the fans especially. Um, at times, I think we get like 8,000 people to the games in, in uh, Rexall. But uh, you, you got to think that it, we had our turn and it, it, the cycle was turning to where we were coming back down to. And then um, it, it took a couple of years and then we had some good draft picks that come in, some good trades like a Dougie Waite come in. Uh, we got Luke Richardson. We had uh, Dave Manson. Billy Ranford came in the mold. And uh, and then Cujo obviously come in and we after that we had not a lot of success but we you know won a couple rounds and and got in and and uh, it was one of those things that uh, we all gelled together we were young really naive of the league but uh, played hard. Kelly Buckberger joins us on Edmonton Sports Leader TSN twelve sixty and, and Kelly so you you know you had a successful playing career how hard was it for you. Well, when you left in the expansion draft to Atlanta, were you ready to go? Did, was, was it like once you were you know, exposed, did you feel like, okay, now's the right time? Or, or was it you know, a little bit bittersweet to leave the only organization you knew? Well, I, I really didn't want to leave. There's no question about that. And uh, I had got hurt. I broke my arm the year before at Christmas time when it was out for much, pretty much the half of the season, come back and play us. But um, you know what? It was one of the best moves for our family. Uh, we moved to Georgia and Atlanta. Uh, we had bought a house there, uh, but as you know, the expansion teams uh, back then weren't that great. And uh, and then Donnie Waddell had asked me a couple times if I wanted to get traded out west again, and I said, no, no, I'm good. We Hey, listen, we're happy here. Our family's in school, everybody, blah, blah. And then we he had lost 9-1 or 9 nothing to Jersey, and then he was waiting for me outside the dress room. And he goes, Kelly, are you ready to talk to me? I said, yeah. He goes, I got some teams that are interested in you. Come and see me. And and you know what? It was moving around from community to community and city to city. And and we went to L.A. after that and moved on to different places. But it was great for the kids because the kids never seen anything else but Edmonton. And when they started seeing different uh, cities and, and, you know, we'd go to football games, baseball games, it was really a different culture for the kids. Well, and that's that's a, a bonus for sure, because um, your kids, they were okay with, with moving at that time. Like, obviously, if the family unit stays together, that definitely makes it easier. But, you know, I've heard lots of players talk about, hey, it's kind of easy for me, but, you know, then my wife's got to yeah. pack up all the kids and, and, and move and different things like that. You you did get to move in the offseason, though, a few times, so I'm sure that makes it a, a tad easier. But when you went to Atlanta, like, it's Atlanta, Georgia. It's not necessarily a, a hockey hotbed. How was it? Uh, you know, the, in those first few years in Atlanta, like, was it like hockey one on one? Were you having to teach people everything? Well, it, it's uh, we we were sold out. We were selling out all the time because it was a it was a new product in the city. And from the baseball, as we know, the Braves were really good then. Uh, the basketball team and the, and the football team, but we were new, so we were selling out. They had the new uh, Phillips Arena that uh, was. They changed the style of it. They had all the press boxes and uh, luxury boxes on one side and then all the bleachers on the other side. Okay. And uh, so it was a kind of a, 
a new opening for everybody, even the players, uh, this new concept of, of the rink. But uh, I think that year it, it was fun, but then it was challenging for everybody and just not uh, me, for all the players that were there because I don't know how many players we went through. I'm sure the roster list was two pages long. There's no question about that. I think we went through nine goalies. And uh, and I, I feel bad for Kurt Fraser. Kurt Fraser was the coach. Yes. And Fraz was a it was a really good coach. He had won the IHL the year before. And when you're playing with guys that sometimes maybe they don't belong in, in their certain chairs, but you're still playing them, and it, it's tough on the coaches in that area. Now, you say that speaking like a coach now. Right, because you've been coaching for you know over a decade, uh, you know at the, at the NHL level and the American League level. When you were playing, was coaching something you always wanted to do? It, it was actually in the last four or five years, uh, four years of my career, I, I started going to the coaches and uh, and I, it was actually I started with Dave Tippett in LA, and I, I was asking him for their practice plans after each practice, okay. and and I'd build a binder from all the teams that I go through and. And then from then on, I, I had all this uh, knowledge from the coaches and I talked to them all the time. And when you get older, you spend a lot of time with the coaches because you're pretty much closer to their age <laughs> than you are with the younger guys. Yeah. And uh, But they were great, they, the practice plans. But I always wanted to stay in the game and coaching was number one, there's no question. And I have moved around a little bit, but uh, I love it. I love being with the kids. I love to see the kids develop and get better and uh and whatever I can bring to the table with these kids, um, you know, my days have filled. Kelly Buckberger joins us on Edmonton Sports 1440. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about the, the evolution, the change into coaching, uh, what he's learned. Obviously, we'll talk about him uh, right now as assistant coach in Laval when we return on The Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca, live on Sports 1440 and online at the uh, YouTube channel. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. For Orders Nation. We are back. Wednesday edition of The Gregor Show on Sports 1440 live. If you are uh, watching us online on YouTube, be sure to subscribe. A lot of subscribers. Our goal is to get 250 every day. So uh, hit the button and uh, you'll be uh, winning some tickets. 
in, in October to see some of the uh, Oilers' regular season games. And uh, speaking of the Oilers, of course, we have uh, one of the uh, former captains of the uh, Edmonton Oilers in studio today for our first ever Who Is It Wednesday. We gave you some hints in hour number two. Uh, a few of you uh, figured it out. We don't make it too easy. Uh, Kelly Buckberger's with us, of course, played uh, over 1,200 NHL games, has over 2,200 penalty minutes, 300 points, two Stanley Cups. Uh, his jersey's retired in Moose Jaw. Now, of course, my nephew uh, played there, and I, I remember being – I saw Brian Sutherby because they have cut it two levels. They have the jersey retirement, and they have like a wall of honor, similar to what the orders are doing now with their wall of fame. Take me back to kind of when you got the call that you're going up in the rafters in Moose Jaw. How big of a deal was that for you for, well, as a Saskatchewan kid? Well, I, I – I came in there. I went to Musha a couple of years before that and at 14 and played midget there. And then I ended up going to Melville, the Melville Millionaires, and played in the Saskatchewan Junior League. But then when I went there, we had such a – it was an expansion team from Winnipeg, the Warriors. Yeah. And uh, I think we only had one player from the previous team. But we were very young. Uh, there was guys like Mike Keane, Theron Fleury, Lyle yeah. O'Line, uh, Jim McKenzie – and uh, a couple other guys that ended up playing in the NHL. But it was one of those things. It was a learning curve for everybody coming into the league because no one else had played in the league uh, except for one guy, and I, I can't remember his name. And we were so young and, and inexperienced. And, uh, and you know, when you got the, the call after, I only played two years for the Warriors and I had left, but uh, uh, it was Mike Keene and I and Theron Fleury that played on the line. Yeah. And I think it's the three of us jerseys are retired, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you guys, that was a really good line. Uh, no question about it. And, and it's always funny because I think there's so many people that they see NHL guys and, you know, you're a third or fourth line or people, oh, he's just a third or fourth line. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's still like the top 0.001%. Most of these guys were first liners in junior. Um, you know, you played a physical robust style. So maybe it was a little bit easier for you to transition to being a, you know, an energy guy in the bottom six. But as a coach, is that is that not one of the hardest things to do is to convince guys who are really high end offensive players at junior that they're just not going to be able to do that role in the NHL? Well, we see it in the in the AHL. There's no question because we get all the players that come and they're young kids coming from junior and college and uh, and let's just like you said that they're usually on the first and second line. And when you get all these players into one place and, and you got to put them in a chair that suits them, that gives them a chance to play in the NHL, and that's our job in the American Hockey League is to put them in an area where they can succeed. And the thing is that we we look at it in Lavelle is that we have our, our first and second line are, are kind of A, A plus or whatever, but we want to have two third lines. Um, we don't have uh, an enforcer or a guy that plays a role at that I think our team had maybe 10 fights last year. But uh, if you play in the third, fourth line, you got to be a penalty killer and, and you got to be a checker. And if they're not, we'll, we'll try and put them in that chair. But then, as you know, if they, they don't get it, they can't work out, we'll have to put them down um, in three rivers. But I think the biggest thing for us is that we enjoy putting them in different areas and them succeeding, but they all want to play on the power play. It's no different than a, the nine-year-old here at the mall or the brick. They all want to play on the power play. But there's only 10 guys on the power play each game. And uh, uh, so we try and share the ice time with these kids so they can develop and they play. Uh, there's no more benching kids in the American Hockey League because we need to play them. We need for them to succeed where they are right now. And the quicker that we can develop them and get them to the, in the NHL, 
they always have a two to three window, three year window to get in there. And if they don't make it after that, it's pretty slim after that third year. Kelly Buckberger joins us. And scoring is a real skill and it's hard to do. Like to score consistently is extremely hard to do. Being a consistent checker maybe is easier in one sense, but it's a real mental challenge because at some times, you know, you got to kind of maybe lower your ability to want to try a dangerous play. As a coach, how can you help players accept and understand how to be a good checker? Well, every team needs them. There's no question. You, you look at Edmonton coming in. You have a dry sidle and McDavid coming in, and then you you know you have guys that are in the NHL that are going to check like a Bergeron, which is a great player, but he can play both ways. There's no question. But then you got guys that can check and play hard against those guys, and it's an art. You got to be disciplined. You got to make the right choice choice with the pucks. You, you got to make sure that your angles are good. And you're communicating with your teammates when those guys are on the ice. But to get those guys to buy in is that's their ticket to the NHL is that they're not going to score you 30 goals or 20 goals in the American Hockey League. They're going to get there by being disciplined and an all around good hockey player. What would be if you're coaching and a young guy comes in and says, OK, I want to be a better penalty killer. How do you become a better penalty killer? Well, it's about reads. There's no question about that. And uh Edmonton has the best power play for the, how many of the years now? The last oh, four yeah, or five years. Yeah. And we know that the talent they have, that they're going to succeed. But the same thing is that when you're killing penalties, you got to read. And I think you're, as you, everybody talks about, is your goalie has to be your best penalty killer. And I always watched Patrick Wall when I played against him. He knew where the shots were coming from. And back then they weren't doing video. So he was doing his own reading. Uh, navigating what was going on and knew where the shots were coming from and, and he was square to the shooter all the time. And I think when you have players like that that are, are smart and know where the shots are going to come, you're going to sacrifice yourself, you're going to make the clears, you're, you're, you're going to make yourself as big as possible and you're going to read as four guys on the ice, then you're going to have success. But you got to show them, with our group now, you show them a lot of video. I don't run the PK, I run the power play, but these guys that watch it, they watch it and they're in depth. They ask questions. They're into it now. So, so you're running the power play. From uh, what, what is like? What are some of your things that you believe that make? Because certain guys just have skill. Like Glenn Galton, I've talked to him lots. He's like, hey man, lots of times like McDavid and Drysaddle, like we have certain set plays, but then there's a lot of ad libbing. That just has to happen, right? A puck bounces off a shin pad. It's in the corner. Defenseman's out of position. Boom, bang, you score. So, as a power play coach. Is it just more about zone entries and then when you're in, it's like, okay, ad lib? Or at the American League level, is it maybe a little bit more structured to ensure guys are going to the right place more often? It, it always starts with the face-off. And our key is that we put four guys right on the circle. And it's called a sweeper that you get. Because if you get that face-off right away, that gives you 20 more seconds of power play time. And we put a lot of work into that face-off uh, workout. I mean, face-off plays and everything. But and the same thing is winning those puck battles. If there's a puck battle, 50-50 puck battle, you have to win it. You have to get in it because then you can get set up. And like like the Oilers and everybody else, we play a 1-3-1. One, one, but we, we move around a little bit. Not like the Oilers because no one moves around like the Oilers. But you have to have structure on your power play. And you, there is time to freelance. We know that. And as the as you just mentioned, the Oilers do it a lot. But they have the guns to do it, to freelance and make things happen. And I feel like 
the the breakouts everybody kind of uses the same breakouts there's everybody every team probably has eight nine breakouts they'll use and you get in on the retrieval is key too you got to get numbers in there you got to get when those battles get set up but the movement is key and is finding a way to get it through the guys because the guys are willing to block shots like they were for years and you you got to make sure you get it to the blue paint and then you got to get numbers in there and it goes on and on and on but uh, this is how we try and teach our kids and and the same thing that Montreal teaches and we bring it to our team Kelly Buckberger joins us on sports 1440 Kelly you mentioned your last four or five years of your career you know started with Dave Tippett you're hey give me the practice plan you take the practice plan home and you saved them all you had it in your binder so then when you were done playing you know and you got into coaching and if you look at Kelly Buckberger now compared to Kelly Buckberger 15 years ago as a coach in pro hockey how different are you? Like, what was the what was the hardest learning curve for you as a coach? I, I think at the start is that I still wanted to play, and uh, I and and being assistant coach right away, um, I I just thought, uh, but I learned so much as a coach. But uh, the biggest learning curve that I did is that I went to junior and I coached for three years, and and when you coach junior hockey and. Mm-hmm is that you have one assistant coach and you guys do it all. Everybody, we do it all from school to hockey, to planning, everything. And I, I think that was the biggest learning curve for me is that I got a be- I got to be a better coach when I did that because I was in, involved with everything. When you're a, a assistant coach in the NHL, you might just have the PK. So what do you focus on every day is your PK. And if they score against your PK, you're, you're dying. And <laughs> there's no question. And, uh, or you run the D, or you run the forwards, or sure. and everybody has their position they're going to play in. But when you wear all the hats in junior, you get to be a better coach. And I felt that that was a great move for me to go back to junior and coach and, and learn more and meet more responsibility. So you go back to being in junior, and then you coach in the AHL, and then you coach in the NHL, and then you went back again to Tri-Cities in junior. But that was almost like a decade in between, maybe even longer. For that, and just in a decade, how different it was, and how you communicate with young kids, right? How do do we maybe even undervalue just how important that communication factor is for coaches? And that a lot of times, some coaches are maybe like you're done before you even start because you're not communicating properly. You have to communicate with the kids now. And I, when I was in junior, uh, there was no more yelling at the players. Um, they didn't respond to it. Um, and we never did. Pa- Brian Pellerin and I myself, uh, we never, ever, ever yelled at the kids. We were always great with them and, and put a lot of time in them. And, uh, and they responded better. And they felt that, that we respected them and they respected us. And uh, back in the day, the coaches would never talk to you unless they were sending you down or, or benching you or not playing you. But now you have to communicate with the players every day. You show them individual video pretty much after every game and uh, besides everything else the pre-plans of uh pre-scouts you're you're invested with these kids because you got probably 23 kids there that all want to play in the NHL. They all want to play in the NHL. It doesn't matter if they're in junior or they're in the East Coast League or the American Hockey League. They all want to play in the NHL. So if they feel like you're not respecting them and putting the time in, you're going to get exactly what you deserve back. And uh, I feel like our group with JF Wool he does a great job communicating with the players, and we follow his lead. You know, it's interesting how you know, coaching just in society, everything's evolved. Communication is a lot more open now than it ever was before. 
But there are still some players like that they want you to challenge them sometimes. Like somebody needs a little bit of a kick in the pants, not figuratively, of course, you know what I mean? But um and where some guys do need the pat on the back. Can you are you better at deciphering that quickly, or do you just come out and ask guys? And our players pretty honest say, you know what? I don't mind if every now you get on me. That that helps me. Whereas other guys like, you know what? I function better when when I'm getting positive. Or do you just kind of have to figure that out as a coach? I I think it's just like being a parent. You you feel out what you get the best out of your kids and how do you get your kids motivated to uh, be their best every day in school and uh, in life in general. And I feel like if we communicate with the kids like they communicate with one another, but you still got to be their advisor. Uh, But the same thing is that no one likes to be scolded. No one, including ourselves, uh, coaches. Like, uh, but the same thing though. If you show them so much respect and and you get it back, you're gonna have a great relationship with those players, and they're gonna talk to you. I still talk to my kids from junior all the time. They call me for advice and stuff like that because I had a great relationship and I communicated with them every day. And I did stuff with them. I worked out with them. I did everything. But you have to have that passion with those kids, and and they feel it. Can you do the Michigan? I can't. I could not do the Michigan. I never will. <laughs> now, because the young kids, like, you know, they try lots of new things. It's, it's, yeah. it's pretty unique. But when you're coaching the young guys in Tri-Cities, you weren't trying, like, after practice, joking around you. Did they get close? Did you ever get close or did you never even try? I don't even think that Michigan was scored then by that time when I was there. <laughs> but uh, they, they, they try everything. But one thing, um, the kids in junior, is that they're hungry. And you know, our practices sometimes were an hour and a half, and, and they were fine with that. We'd resurface halfway through, but they wanted to go back out, and they wanted, then we'd have to kick them off the ice because, hey, it was an hour and a half, you guys. And yeah. we had a lot of Edmonton boys on our team, a lot, and, and guys from St. Albert and Calgary. And uh, but and uh, our team was mostly built out of Alberta boys, but they were great to work with, absolutely great to work with. Kelly Buckberger joins us on Sports 1440. Uh Final uh, break this hour. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're, we're going to have a little question period with Kelly on the Jason Greger Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Our digital edition on YouTube, the Orders Nation YouTube channel. Saying hello there. Uh, lots of love for uh, for Bucky. It, it's funny, Kelly, like you've made Edmonton your home for a long time. Um, Edmonton's a real blue-collar town. And like a lot of fans always seem to to remember kind of how you played you know you said earlier you're like hey yeah sometimes at a fight I had to do something to stand out and it definitely I, I think a lot of people respected that did you like in your interactions over the years in Edmonton is that kind of the sense that people are just like yeah you know what like yeah they had Gretzky and the Messiers but Buckburgers are like lots of fans here have different favorite players depending on their style yeah, I think so. And Edmonton, we know, is a blue-collar city, but they're wonderful people, and they're very knowledgeable about the game. They respect what you do in the game, and it doesn't matter if you're a fourth-liner or a first-liner. They respect what you do because where you got to. And our fans are very knowledgeable here in Edmonton. They know the game well, and they never forget a player. No, no, not for sure, especially, obviously, when you're a captain. You know, you had the unique helmet. You still got it? We still got it. Yeah, we have it in our office. It's changed a few stickers now and then. <laughs> I still have it. Yeah. Now, do you still when, do you play at all? Like you're you you could easily yeah. play. You must go. With, do you ever go to the alumni skates? No. Well, I, I'm with Montreal all the yeah. time in Laval, but I, I skate with the kids all the time. After it, uh, we always have extras, and so we play three on three. And uh, I always say, boys, uh, prison rules, and they don't get it till they start playing against me. <laughs> but, so, so you still got the slash down pretty good. 
Oh yeah, we got it all. We have it all. <laughs> and uh, well, you got to hey, any advantage you can, right? Experience helps. Yeah, but they they love it. Like, they they we have it all set up. Who gets new jerseys and stuff like that? But uh, I think that's the most enjoyment that all the players and myself get out after practice because we're back in just playing a shinny game. Yeah, it's fun as kids. Now I want to go back to you mentioned earlier how you felt like you always wanted to improve as a player. Well, you improved the one year you scored twenty genos, right? So when you scored twenty goals. Did you, not that you would change your style, but did you all of a sudden internalize and say like, you know what, like I'm capable of this, I should do this more often? Well, it was one of those things that it just happened right away that uh, things just started clicking that year. And, and uh, But uh, the, one of the biggest things is I never forgot what I did before and it kept me in the league. And uh, it was one of those seasons that it seemed like everything I touched went in the net and uh, and I improved as a player. And I was right in the middle of my career and uh I had a lot of people that uh, helped me out. Like uh, I spent a lot of time too with Craig Simpson, and uh, I remember saying to Simmer one time, I said, "Simmer, um, you just signed for three hundred thousand. I go, how are you going to spend all that money? I go, it's, it's, where are you going to spend it? And uh, I go, you get a free car? Like you don't have any bills? And uh, but uh, with him, I spent time with him, Mac T, and all these guys. But I never forgot where I come from and and what I did and how I got to the league." You practice with some of the greatest players of all time. And, you know, and they talked about how Gretzky elevated their game. It just made you better because they practiced hard, right? Was there, like, did you have a moment in practice that, you know, you ran over the wrong guy inadvertently or anything? Do you, do you remember, like, you know, hitting Gretzky or, or Messi? Obviously, like, I know you guys played hard, but was there ever a time where you're like, oof, this isn't good? Well, no, actually, funny you say that because my very first camp coming in uh, and drafted in 85, I had ran Lee Foglin and, <laughs> and he, and I, I never really thought of it. And he slashed me at, and he, I go, what? He goes, you don't run me. And I'm like, what? I, I pretty much didn't know who he was. Like I was a young kid from Saskatchewan and I worked on the rigs. I never really, I spent time away from the game, but. And then I got to know Lee after as, you know, he was uh, the captain and then passed it down to Gretz. But uh, I was like, okay, well, apparently I can't run him. So I'll just, you know, but uh, um, that in those years, though, the leadership group were so strong. And like I said before in the interview that uh, they just brought everybody in. It didn't matter who you were. If you had a chance to make it, they, they were bringing you in and welcoming you to the Oilers. So let's let's go back. You were working on the rigs. In 1980, in the summertime? It, it was in just after I got drafted. I worked uh, with my brother and my cousin in Kenosi Lake. We lived in a two-man pup tent for uh, uh, almost two Do you remember months. what job you did on the rigs? Yeah, it was a roughneck. Roughneck? Yeah, it's, oh, it's the, nice. Did you have your name on your coveralls? We didn't have a lease hound, so it was lease hound slash roughneck. Okay, lease hound <laughs> slash roughneck. You know what? Like, I worked in the oil field for a long time, man. I have the utmost respect for people in that job. Like It's, it's a tough job. Yeah, we, it was it was a tougher life than the tougher job. Like, yeah. It was taller shifts, and then after the shifts, it was maybe more fun than we should have had. <laughs> well, and and the other like the safety regulations back in the eighties are a little bit different than what they have now in the. Race. We didn't have any. No, no, no. Was, no. And so, were you were you like situated one place? Did you travel around to lots of different ones that summer? No, we were just in Kenosi the whole time, and uh, I had left. Uh, after a month and a half, I think it was, and uh, just to prepare for the season and stuff like that. Because back then you weren't really training in the off season, right? In the in the mid in the mid and to late eighties. No, we just went straight into skating, and uh, I, I think when I went to camp, I I think I only weighed like 
one seventy five at that time. Your first camp, one buck seventy five. Yeah, I think something like so that. Just like yeah. a coyote. Yeah, nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> so at when you like, when did you learn? Who helped you learn how to work out properly? It was uh, it was one of those things that uh, I'd watch the Oilers, but they never like when I started with the Oilers. They had a universal set in in the in our lounge with two bikes, uh, Fitron bikes, and all I did was gather clothes. The guys would just hang their clothes on it, and then I knew I had to get stronger and bigger. And I started working out with Mike Keen in Mushaw. We lived in together the summer, in okay. the summertime, and we just started listening to some of the guys that worked out there, like power lifters, what it was, and we they just started feeding us uh, some information, and and we took it and we changed our bodies in in one summer. How much of a difference? And were you doing like a lot of like deadlifting, like squats? What were you doing back then? We, we did a lot of half, heavy lifting. There's no question, and a lot of uh, cardio. Like Mike and I would probably do an hour and a half of cardio every day, besides our weights. And uh, we were gym rats then, and uh, it, it paid off for both of us because we both came to, a couple of years later. Came into camp in in stronger, better shape, and giving ourselves a chance to make the team. It's it's funny. You know, you get into training camp now, and I always notice some people that they, they mock when someone says, hey, man, I'm in the best shape of my life. Now, not every player says it, but lots of guys, and every year they are. Like, you played for many years. I'm sure Kelly Buckberger at 24, and then Kelly Buckberger at 27, you were likely in better shape at 27. Not that you suddenly were magically working yeah. out. You just had more experience, but you also had all those years of working out, yeah. and it just allowed you. Maybe it was a 1% or 2% difference, but did you notice that, and did you could you ever tell – if somebody hadn't improved their conditioning? Well, that, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine as uh, the years went on in my career. And when the player went and he goes, hey, I'm in the best shape of my life. Well, you've just played seven years in the league. Don't tell me that you didn't put any time in before that. Um, maybe because he's having a good year that year that he prepared himself. But my thing is that you've got to prepare every year. And now there's no hiding in this game today. So when the player comes in and he's played five, six years already in, this, in, in, in the league and goes, I'm in the best shape of my life. Well, why weren't you in year one and, and year two and going on there? Because you shouldn't come into camp trying to get in shape. You, you got to be at that level right away. And I understand that others are skating right now and it's two year, two weeks before or three weeks before. They're preparing. They're getting ready because they want to come out quick and hard and probably similar to every other team in the NHL. What do you make of something like that? Because it's it's rare to have the quote captain skates where everybody's in attendance two weeks before training camp. I think they think they have a great chance of uh, of winning it, and uh, and with the leadership of Connor Drysital and the guys that they have there, that uh, if they're this tight at this time of the year, uh, it'll go throughout the season, and um, it'll give them a great chance. You were a member of the organization in, in different roles for many many years. Now you're obviously a member in Laval, the Montreal Canadiens organization. You've been there. This would be your third year. Is it odd at times? Like when you watch Edmonton, is there still a little blue and orange in Kelly Buckberg? Is that just natural? Or do you kind of just temper it down while you're a member of another organization? How does that work? No, I still keep – I follow the Oilers. Um, the problem is that uh, it's two hours difference in time when the Oilers play. So I, I don't stay up for all the games. <laughs> but uh, there's no question. And it's hard to get it out of your blood. Uh, and uh, – I, I still cheer for them when uh, I watch them and stuff like that. And when they come to Montreal once a year, I come to the game and and, and sit there and go down and talk to the coaches. Uh, Dave Manson is a really good friend of mine. And uh, so I spend a little bit of time in, with him. And uh, But 
it's going to be really exciting for these guys this year because I think Skinner is going to turn the corner. He's and he's got he got his feet wet last year, and, and he's going to be a really strong player for the Oilers this year. Kelly, before I let go, I'd like to have a few little uh, rapid fire kind of unique questions for you. So let's go back to what was your welcome to the like your favorite welcome to the NHL regular season moment? Because I know what your regular NHL moment was, of course, the Stanley Cup playoffs, but like your your regular season moment for you? Well, it took me a while to score my first goal, but it, it, I, I would say, you know what? It was, I, well, it's easy for me because uh, he's still a really good friend of mine, Luke Richardson. Uh, he was playing for Toronto, and uh, we had played Toronto early in the season, and, and we were both really young, and we got in a fight, and uh, I ended up getting a lucky punch and breaking his nose. And the blood was all over, and uh, then we, he got traded to Edmonton. And I go, he goes, "Do you remember that?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do. I remember that." I go, but we ended up becoming really good friends and, and really tight, and spent a lot of time with him. Well, it's interesting. Very similar personalities in the the on ice competitiveness between the two of you. I would think. Yeah, we're pretty much the same. He's uh, he, he's done a, an unreal job in Montreal when he was there, and and got the head coach in Chicago, and. They had a, a tough year last year, but as you know, that uh, they got the first rounder and uh, <laughs> yeah, but Dard kid might be yeah, pretty good. He's going to be okay for them, I think. And uh, he, he, you know, he's it, it was his time to be a head coach. Who is the guy you literally did not like to play against? I would say uh, there's a few of them. Um, the, you look at guys like a Bob Probert that score 30 goals and, and have 30 fights and he was always tough to play against and uh, uh i always thought it, it was always tough playing against him but he, he was always fair there's no question he was he was an unreal competitive player and he laid it on the line all the time but i, I think the guy that scared me the most was probably link gates oh the missing link yeah there was a few issues there uh with him <laughs> and i and uh i never really got the better of him <laughs> <laughs> now was there anybody that when you played you're like, God, I hate this guy. And then when you're done and you're retired, you met him, and you're like, oh, he's a pretty good guy. Well, it's funny because uh, back to Link, um, a few years ago, uh, the, we were in the Alzheimer's hockey tournament, and uh, we went to OTR after the, all the teams went there, and this guy taps me on the shoulder, and uh, he's he's huge. He's just gigantic. And uh, and he goes, hey, Lucky, what, what's going on? What are you doing here? And I'm like, and I had no idea who it was because he, he's just massive, a man. And he goes, it's Link. I go, Link? He goes, the missing Link. <laughs> he was working in the oil patch here on the on the, on the the pipeline. Yeah. And he had come out there to have a few beers, but we joked about uh, the timing. He beat me up so bad in the old Cow Palace. I don't know if you remember Oh, that. yeah, in San Jose. And we had to climb up probably 50 stairs to go up to the dress room, and he had cut me for 37 stitches that time. What? And uh, I had got halfway up, and I had to have a rest because <laughs> I think I ran out of blood. <laughs> so, <laughs> man, like, what? Because I asked you this question earlier about why did you do it, but was there ever one? Because you know, sometimes guys have talked about you like you take a few Barney rubbles in the back of the head, and like it hurt for a long time. Sometimes you know you get cut, but it didn't really hurt after the fact. Like, do you remember a time where there was a fight that like it was painful for many days after? I, I think they all were. Like it, it didn't matter who it was, but I, I think you look at the guys like a uh, Joey Kosher, oh, and, hit hard, uh, and a Dave Brown, and and you can go down like uh, 
Probert. And these guys, like, they were animals. They were, but they were good players. Like, they were good players. Like, Joey Kosher could play game, play that game, but he could hit. Oh. And he could hit you hard. But those guys, they're in a different league. There's no question about that. And uh, I can't pinpoint one guy. I think they all hurt. Is the 97 goal in overtime, is that the greatest Kelly Buckberger goal in your in your mind? Yeah, it has to be. There's no question about that. And uh, uh, we had such a, a green team in, in the playoffs, and, and we had no business beating Dallas that year. But going back to that team, I, I always said that uh, we played hard for Ron Lowe, and Ronnie was a, a great coach for us because his emotion, his, his energy brought us into the games all the time. And you look at our players and the team we had, we had no business beating Dallas that year, and but we found a way. Cujo, oh. as we know, was unreal. Yeah. But everybody came, raised their game to another level. Uh, Todd Marchant, Dougie Waite, uh, Ryan Smith, you can go down the list. We had some really good players, but they were young. Where were you on the bench? Or maybe you were on the ice, I can't remember. On the Joe Newendike save for Joseph. What, and what went through your mind? Because it looked like the game was over. It was unreal. They, only Cujo could make that save. Maybe Billy Ranford could make that because Billy's pretty athletic. But Cujo was so athletic that uh, that come back and make that save like he did was unreal. And uh, um, I don't know. I can't remember. I was probably on the bench. And uh, Todd Marchant, who you know struggled for many years when it came to breakaways, didn't struggle at one of the most key times in his career, like you, you'd won Stanley Cup, so I'm not going to compare that. But when you look at maybe a satisfying playoff victory, is that one over Dallas or was it the one in '98 over Colorado? Which one for you as a veteran player was more satisfying? I think they both were. I think anytime you win any series, especially in the NHL, it's so hard to win those series, and especially the first series, because those are the best series to watch as fans now, like we are, and you're in, in the radio, and, and I'm just a fan and coach. But I, I love those first rounds because they're the most entertaining, they're high energy, hard hitting, and everybody's bringing their A game. And then, as we know, injuries come into play, the game gets a little slower as, it, as the playoffs go, but uh, both those series were, I, I would say, even. Bucky, thanks so much for spending an hour with us on uh, Who Is It Wednesday. Uh, I truly appreciate it. Uh, continued success in Laval. Continued success uh, in the workouts and your golf game. And uh, we hope to have you again soon. Thanks for having me and, and all the best in, in years to come for you. That is uh, Kelly Buckberger here on the uh, Wednesday edition of the Jason Gregor Show on Sports 1440. Uh, let's get to the uh, con man and a sports center update brought to you by Legacy Heating and cooling home with no payments, no interest for one year on your furnace or AC unit. Have a warm fall at LegacyHeating.ca. Here's Connor Halley. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 